Tanya's father, <clears throat> Carl Lee Haley, came by the office today. Man's heart's torn wide open, baby. I don't know, but uh, it sounded to me like he was thinking about doing something. Like what? Something like maybe killing those two boys. Was he serious? I don't know. I don't know. Could have been just the hurt talking, you know? When I mean, you think that it's possible that those two animals could go free and be walking the streets? Uh -huh. Jake, honey, after what that man has been through, he's probably capable of anything. Somebody should do something. <laughs> And welcome to the main event. I open up with that scene from the movie A Time to Kill. You know, when uh, Jake Brigance is, uh gets visited by Carly Haley, who uh, is uh, Samuel Jackson, uh, and he's talking to his wife about, uh, hey, I think maybe he's thinking about killing those two guys. And, uh, you know, is he serious? I don't know. I know. Somebody should do something. You're right. Somebody should do something. And once again, we saw this week. We saw this week what happens when when there's signs out there, nobody wants to do something, and then all of a sudden, 21 people are dead. We're going to talk a lot about that. That song was uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive, Taking Care of Business, from 70-something. Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, if everybody would just take care of their business, people that hear stuff, people that go to work, people that uh, run this country, People that are, uh, you know, you know, the if if uh, people would in the in the in the Washington D.C. would take care of business, we wouldn't have the the uh, baby formula problem. We wouldn't have the the gas prices going up. We wouldn't have any of this stuff. But people don't take care of business in the private sector. Everybody everybody involved will get fired because you know you just can't you don't just keep paying people to do to do job hey we only hired you because we had a need for someone to do that job if you're not going to do it you're fired and we get someone else to do it yeah those are uh, little little lessons we can learn from uh, the apprentice and uh, you know Donald Trump hey you're fired you know and everybody talked about how uh, how how many uh, people that uh, started in the Trump administration and then they then they got fired and they got replaced and they got fired and they got replaced. Well, 
you know, you, you start out and you start out a new position and you, 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 uh, you staff it. And then you find out as you go, who, who was the wrong pick. And, uh, and then you make, then you make decisions, make decisions. And that's what happens when you put a, uh, a businessman in the white house to run the country because the country essentially is a business. So, Hey, it's got a job to do. It's got a task to get done. And we have people that have to stat. No, it's not really important if they're diverse. It is important that they're competent so we can take care of business because it doesn't matter what color you are or what your sexual orientation is. You know, if you don't do your job, you're fired. Well, that's, that's the old school. So anyway, we're going to talk a lot about this stuff. And, uh, but before I do, let me introduce myself. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ed Hoffman, branch manager, plan of home lending. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. I have a bar, I have a listener that's been listening for a long time. We've been talking uh, on and on about uh, various uh, various properties that she wants to buy. And uh, and then I, I when it gets to it, when it gets kind of specific, I said, why don't you just call me? She's emailing me back and forth. Why don't you just call me? Let's talk about this. She goes, what number? 855-640-2020. So anyway, uh, if you don't, if you want to talk to me about loans or about finances or about anything that you want an opinion on uh, and you don't, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet, you can uh, contact me by going to uh, edhoffman.net, click on the Planet Home Lending logo, click on there, take you to my lending page, fill in as much information as you want me to have, tell me how much information you want back and you'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates, Brian Goodman, Brian Beck, Jackson Waldrop, or Casey Gresh, and we will uh, have you uh, have all your all your uh, missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle found and put back in place. Um, if there's any part of the show you want repeated, stay on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. You can hear show this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Apple Podcasts, where you can uh, subscribe for free, have it download to your your uh, your phone or your computer or your iPod or your iPad or your mini pad or your maxi pad, and it'll actually uh, uh, it'll actually uh, download a day early. So I record on Friday mornings, we upload on Friday afternoon, and sometime shortly thereafter, it'll it'll download to your uh, your device automatically, and you can listen to it on demand. Um, if you want to make comments on the show, send me a uh, Send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. And uh, I see them all. So anyway, um, let's talk about what's going on this week. Um, could anyone have prevented the shooting that killed 19 children and two adults at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas on Wednesday? Here's what we know about the shooter, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos. And, le- and let me just start by saying these facts are evolving. We wrote an out. We wrote an outline a day ago. Then we rewrote it again this morning, and I'm sure it's all going to be. I'll, I will point out the inconsistencies of what we're hearing, but you get you get the basic idea of of what's going on with this kid, and uh, what went on in uh, Uvalde, uh, which is 16 miles from the Mexican border. Um, hence, the border patrol was close at hand when they're so. Anyway, three days before the shooting, a photo of two AR-15 rifles appeared on the Instagram account tied to Ramos. Okay, warning sign number one. An ATF investigation revealed that he legally purchased the two guns at an unnamed 
local federal firearms licensee on two separate dates, May 17th and May 20th. So what that means is he went to a, a gun store that was legally legal and licensed. He filled out his background check and bought two guns three days apart. On May 18th, he reportedly bought 375 rounds of 5.56 ammunition, which to a non-gun owner, owner seems like, wow, why did he buy so much ammunition? Well, I have an AR-15, and when I buy ammo, I buy it 1,000 thousand rounds at a time. And sometimes I don't shoot them off before I buy another 1,000 rounds because you want to have ammo. It doesn't matter how many guns you have. You don't have ammo for them if, the, if, the, uh, if the, uh, your state or your neighborhood or your house gets, gets invaded by uh, uh, evil doers. Those things are of no use without ammunition. So keep plenty of ammunition on, on hand. On May 18th, okay, though that was May 18th. According to the Texas Rangers briefing, Ramos brought, uh, bought items as a bought these items as a present to himself for his 18th birthday. That's nice. Classmates said Ramos had stopped attending school regularly. The high school confirmed he would not be graduating. Warning side number two. He worked at a local Wendy's where the manager said he kept to himself mostly, worked, got paid, and came in to get his check. However, female coworkers say he sent them inappropriate texts. And that's kind of inappropriate texts. Is that a warning sign? And depends on what they were. But, uh, you know, 18-year-olds are 18-year-olds. And they send him inappropriate things to 18-year-old girls, uh, which is uh, more normal than some of the things I hear going on. Um, a former classmate told CNN Ramos recently sent him a photo showing the AR-15, a backpack of rounds, and ammunition in several gun magazines. Okay, you're 18, you've got all that stuff. What's the point of sending text pictures of them? That would be a, that would be a warning sign, especially if you know this guy's a weirdo. He doesn't come to school all the time, and he's, uh, doesn't keep, and he keeps to himself, and all of a sudden he's showing everybody he's got an AR-15 and a bunch of ammo. Okay, friend told the, a friend told CNN, I was like, bro, do you have this? And he was like, don't worry about it. Then he proceeded to text me. I look very different now. You wouldn't recognize me. Okay, that's what his friend said. That's how they talk when you're young. Yo, bro. Don't worry about it. He was like. So anyway, other comments from classmates include, he was a very quiet person who hung out by himself. And I knew people didn't like him. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know what's the uh, what are the what are the messages there? Let's play a clip of the press conference that happened Friday morning. And I want to correct something that was, that was said early on in the investigation is that that he posted okay on Facebook publicly that he was going to kill that he was going to shoot his grandmother that and secondly after that that he was going to that he had shot her and then third that he was going to go shoot up a school that did not happen. It was actually on a message. It was a Facebook application, messenger application to somebody else that he had a conversation with. We know that through his digital media footprint, and I'll just go by, I'll just do it by date time, that Ramos asked his sister to help him buy a gun. She flatly refused. That was in September of 21. He had Instagram, a four-group chat, and uh, it was discussed that Ramos being a, a school shooter. That was on February 28th of 2022. On March 1st of 2022, there was an Instagram he had with four people. It was a chat. He discussed him buying a gun. On March 3rd, 2022, it was another four-person chat. 
quotations, word on the street is you are buying a gun. Ramos replied, just bought something. On March 14th, and there's Instagram posting by the subject, in quotations, 10 more days. A user replied, are you gonna shoot up school or something? The subject replied, no, and stop asking dumb questions and you'll see. Interesting. So here's some more, here's some more uh, uh, red flags. Here's some more warning signs. September, September of, of uh, 2021, he asked his sister to help him buy a gun. So warning side number one, hey, absolutely not. Why would you want to have a gun? Should be a warning sign there. Okay, then February 28th, um, three months ago, three months ago, um, they're talking on Instagram that he'd be a school shooter. Hmm. Not sure how that how that post went, how that post went or how that Instagram chat went went, but somebody somebody was already thinking about this stuff. The next day he's having an Instagram chat, I'm assuming with the same same three other people, and saying he wants to buy a gun. Two days after that, hey, he said, I just bought something. Just bought something. Now remember, these are this is March 3rd. According to the sheriff. Uh, according to the reports, he bought the guns in May, but he just bought something. What did he buy? Um, well, he bought the AR-15s. He had a handgun as well. Maybe he bought a handgun in March. So, but there's where the the dates are kind of two months off. And I thought maybe I thought maybe when he said, "Hey, I just bought something on three three, and according to these reports of the ATF investigation, he bought. Uh, an AR 15th on May 17th, which was say, maybe he meant to say May 3rd and there's maybe a two week waiting period, but we checked and there's no waiting period in Texas. So it's kind of like Arizona. Um, and then March 14th, um, 10 more, he says 10 more days, but 10 more days turned out to be two months, two months earlier. So I'm wondering if these dates don't coincide. I wonder if there's somebody just, saying March when they meant May. Or maybe he thought about it for a couple of months. Hmm. So just so you know, here's, here's one of the things that I think about. So if the, if you have to run a background check and I have lots of guns and I've bought them in California and I've bought them in Arizona, in California, you fill out a form and you do a 10 day, 10 day background check, which means the FBI has 10 days to, to run everything on you. And, you know, they, they look and see if you have criminal record. They look and see if you've had, had any kind of, uh, any kind of incidences anywhere. And I'm assuming, and I'm assuming that um, in 10 days, they could pull all your social media, which for the, you know, in the case of you go to hire somebody, if you're, if you're, if you're not aware of this, when you go to apply for a job, and then the HR department runs a background check on you. They also check your social media. I know that, that uh, at my company, we've been doing it for, for years and years and years. Check the person's social media and find out if they're a weirdo. And I've had my HR, HR lady come to me and say, hey, you know what? This guy posts some kind of weird stuff on social media and, and tells me, yeah, we should, we should consider if we want him to be part of our company. So... If that's happening, if you're taking 10 days in California, um, why couldn't they check that stuff? 
Okay. Now in Texas, Texas is like Arizona. So in Arizona, you have to, you have to live in Arizona to buy guns in Arizona, which I'm assuming is the same in Texas. So you have a tech. So I have an Arizona ID cause I have a house in, in Arizona. And so when I go into a gun shop in Arizona, I just give them my ID. And I also have a, a concealed carry uh, permit in there, which basically uh, waves the, the background check, but they, but they slide the, before I had that, they slide the, my ID on there and it, and it would send a message over to, to FBI and they know in about 10, 15 minutes, they go, worst case it's tomorrow. But usually it's, usually it's 10 or 15 minutes if you're, if you're clean. So it goes over to the FBI and they run something. They run some kind of check. You would think, you would think how small the percentage of people that are buying guns. And I know there's a large portion of the population that owns guns, but you know what? There's only a small percentage that's, that's buying guns now buying guns today, buying guns this week or this month, you would think someone at the FBI could, could just scan that stuff. Or maybe, hey, the background check takes an extra day in Arizona and Texas and, and states like that. And we have, have somebody that scans your social media. Now, of course, if we tell everybody, they'll go in and, and uh, modify their social media before they apply for a, to, to buy a gun. But you would think this kind of stuff would happen. So let's go on. Ramos shot his grandmother, Celia Gonzalez, who lived who he lived with. She survived, but is in serious condition. One neighbor said they witnessed Ramos arguing with his grandmother outside in the days before the shooting. She was angry that he did not graduate. The neighbor said, well, I can understand that. If I didn't graduate, my mom would have been done more than just argue with me in the front yard. Um, and, you know, in, in those days, we weren't worried about the cops. We were worried about getting our beat up by our parents. Both his parents have a criminal history, and the grandmother was attempting to evict his mother from a different home she owned because of drug use. And from uh, other stuff I've read, his grandfather has a criminal history, and it would have been a violation of his parole if they knew he had guns in the house. So, so uh, Salvador had the guns hidden because grandfather wouldn't have allowed it. I'm starting to think bad people breed bad kids. You know, I've, uh, if you read my book, I say, hey, you know, our kids are a reflection of our ability to parent. And, uh, you know, I, I can happily say that Don and I have three kids and they all, they're, they're all doing well. They're all well adjusted and uh, they're all supporting themselves. And we're quite proud of the job we did. Well, I'm quite proud of the job Don did mostly. Um, but, um, but the, uh, but that's, that's a fact. Maybe we, maybe we shouldn't let people, criminals and bad people reproduce. I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's another, uh, that's a whole nother show. So one classmate said Ramos began deteriorating after eighth grade. He admitted he gave himself cuts on his face and would shoot at cars with BB guns. Hmm. Is that a red flag? I don't know. After eighth grade. And now he's, now he's at graduation level. So that was four years ago, but nobody said anything. And if he started doing that stuff four years ago, wouldn't the teachers have noticed? Wouldn't other classmates, I mean, in four years, do you go through school and in four years, you never sit down with a, with a school counselor? I mean, I was not a bad kid in high school and I remember going to the school counselor, um, you know, to discuss my, my future plans, you know, where I should be applying for, for college or, you know, and I thought all the kids had had to go see their counselor. Don't they train counselors to ask questions, to notice things? 
Ramos communicated online with two girls leading up to the shooting. One is a 15-year-old in Germany, the other an 18-year-old in L.A. Uh, he, spent, he sent both of them cryptic messages and implied he had a secret. Uh, we know he sent an 18-year-old fo a photo of his guns, which she asked him to stop doing. He told the 15-year-old, I just shot my grandma in her head. And within one minute, I'm going to go shoot up an elementary school RN, meaning right now. Because there was no diagnosis, Ramos had no known mental health history, according to Texas Governor Greg Abbott. But shouldn't there have been? There had to be plenty of signs, which we're seeing now there was. Um, and remember, remember uh, uh, Saeed Farouk and Tafshid Farik, uh, Farik that were uh, the shooters in San Bernardino? You know, the neighbors said, I thought there was something weird going on and it, it was up to no good, but I didn't want to report them because I thought I'd be... Uh, be called Islamophobic. And meanwhile, he went up and shot up the, the uh, conference room in the San Bernardino at a Christmas party uh, one day before I applied for my CCW. Um, this is what happens when people see something and don't say something. In the same press conference, conference where this was revealed, someone decided to exploit his tragedy for his own gain. That someone was former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who's now challenging Abbott for governor. And I'll read you the transcript because it's hard to I'll read. I'll read it what he said so you can listen to it. Listen for these words. Beto said, Governor Abbott, I have to say something. The time to stop the next shooting is right now. And you guys are doing nothing. You said this is not predictable. This is totally predictable. Hell yes. We're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. This is on you until you choose to do something different. This will continue to happen. Somebody needs to stand up for the children of this state or they will continue to be killed just like they were killed in Uvalde yesterday. Let's hear the actual tape of that. And at this time, I will uh, pass the mic to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down. I don't like this. The next shooting is right now, and you are doing nothing. No. He should get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk to us over. This is totally predictable. When you, sir, you're out of line. Sir, you are out of line. I'm sure. You are out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. Francis Beto O'Rourke, what a dork. He has no he has no sense of of uh, of appropriateness or political history. He's an idiot. Reminds me of this scene from the movie Stripes. The name's Francis O'Rourke. But everybody calls me Beto. Any of you guys call me Francis, and I'll kill you. Ooh. <laughs> Just made the list, buddy. And I don't like nobody touching my stuff. So just keep your meat hooks off. If I catch any of you guys in my stuff, I'll kill you. <laughs> also, I don't like nobody touching me. Now, any of you homos touch me, and I'll kill you. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> You're all in this together. One of these men may save your life one of these days. You understand that? Then again, maybe one of us won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Francis is a Francis is a spoiled baby. 
all he thinks about is himself. It's all about him. You know, he ran for, he ran for uh, Senate and lost. So he decided to run for, for, for uh, president and uh, never got any support. So now he's going to run for governor of Texas because people in Texas like him so much. He's good enough. He's smart enough and doggone it. People like him. Well, he keeps telling himself that anyway, but you know what? Let's, let's keep focused. Now I think over the next, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear, uh, we're here already hearing about the cops, you know, how long the timeline was before they went in and it was their fault and uh, it was their fault. They didn't go in, but, my wondering is if the parents were outside already, the gunshots must have already gone off. And did the cops delay? I mean, I, I, I see where the cops should have gone in, should have gone in. But, you know, we weren't there. We don't know. And bottom line is this is about a mental health thing. It's not about guns and it's not about the police. This this messed up kid didn't get reported when he had signs he was messed up and he went in and killed all these people. Let's keep the focus where, where it should be. Anyway, I'm all out of time for the first half of the main event, so stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and I'll be back with lots more. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman. Branch manager of Planet Home Lending. I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing on the radio because if you're not in the market or if you're not sure in your market that you're in the market, you might think it's boring or might not be as interesting to you as talking about what's going on in our lives today. But just in case you are, just in case you are and you need some help with, with a, a piece of property that you own or a piece of property that you'd like to own, whether that's in California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, uh, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Virginia, West Virginia, New Hampshire, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Montana, Idaho, Oregon, Washington. Did I miss any? Anyway, if I miss if I miss the one you want, call me and just check. I think that was 24 of them. But uh, 24, 24 states, if you want to buy a property there, um, if you want to move out of here or you want to be prepared so you can move out of here, uh, I'm licensed there. I can help you out here or if you know somebody there that, that, that needs that. So, uh, oh, and I forgot to mention California too, which I think you already knew. So if you need some help with that, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or uh, go to edhoffman.net, click on the Planet Home Lending logo and do the cyber thing. So in the first half, we were talking about the uh, the Texas shooting and the tragedy that that was and the inability of people to take care of business when they hear something to say something. I'm not really sure why. You know what? There's all kinds of places. You, you know, And I was, I was talking with Brooke, my uh, production assistant. And she goes, you know what? Kids are afraid that he's going to come, come, uh, you know, if, if kids say something, they're, they're afraid that he's going to come retaliate. Well, there's all kinds of different places, ways to do this anonymously. Hey, I don't want to leave my name, but I want to tell you that this kid, Salvador Ramos, is a messed up kid. And he's starting to send creepy little uh, pictures of guns and this and that. Somebody should check it out. And you know what? There's a chance. Of course, all the laws are such that, you know, the cops go in and 
you know, they can't prove, you know, he bought the guns legally. He's 18, you know, and then somebody, somebody on, uh, I saw somebody on Facebook go, why was this kid able to, to buy a gun legally? And I said, cause he was 18 and he passed the background check. That's how the law works. Problem is, is what are those background checks include? Cause you would think if the FBI was taking care of business, they would include checking social media. You would think they would include all kinds of stuff. I know that I have, uh, I have to have background checks run on me for every state I get licensed in and every little thing and, you know, getting, having a uh, concealed carry uh, license and uh, you know, they pull up, they pull up traffic violations from, you know, when I was 16 and they, uh, and they pull up, they pull up all kinds of stuff. They pull up a, uh, a lawsuit that I was named in that I got released from. And that person got a, got a judgment against somebody else in the lawsuit and didn't get a judgment against me. But I have to explain that over and over and over because it keeps popping up. There was a judgment on this lawsuit and Ed Hoffman was one of the, the named uh, defendants. Yeah, well, Ed Hoffman wasn't involved and my attorney got me released from it. Okay, had nothing to do with me. I just happened to be uh, named because the, the guy that did it had an affiliation. So, uh, it was a civil thing, but, um, but still they pop that up every time. Do you think if they really did real background checks or the FBI really did their job, does anybody have a, have any kind of a, uh, feeling that Christopher Ray does his job and why is Christopher Ray still heading the FBI? I don't understand it. They got rid of Comey and they put Christopher Ray in there and he doesn't take any responsibility for anything anybody does. I don't know. That's just my observations. <clears throat> that's what I see. When I see something, I say something. You guys don't have a radio show, so maybe you can't say it on as loud of a microphone, but you can say it. Social media is everywhere. And the cops have uh, phones, that, phones that they answer. There's all kinds of places to do that. So anyway, let's talk about the crumbling economy. America still doesn't know if inflation can get any worse, but we do know our economy is crumbling. After seven months of rising inflation, economists are pointing to one sign that it could be slowing, which is an insignificant sign, but they're pointing it out because any kind of good news is good. Any kind of good news they can say for, for the Biden administration is a good thing. Consumer prices were at 8.3% higher in April than they were the, the year over year, the previous April. So whatever the prices were in April of 21, they went up 8.3% higher uh, in April of 22, according to the Consumer Price Index. But that's slightly lower than what it was year over year in the surge in March. The rate hike, the, the rate hike that set the 40-year high record. So in March, the consumer price index was 8.5% over March of 21. So because they have declined by a whopping one-fifth of 1%, 0.2%. That's 0.2 of 1%. That's one possible glimmer of hope. Oh, my goodness. Now, does everybody remember when, uh, when Biden released all those, uh, all those uh, barrels of oil from our oil reserves? Hey, this is going to probably drop prices of gas by 10, 10 or 11 cents. I personally never noticed it. But we're all saying, hey, you know, you re release the same amount of uh, oil that, that our country uses in three, three and a half days. So how's that really going to change anything? So he gave up like 20% or 25% of our oil reserves that are supposed to be there 
in case we really have an oil shortage. Um, he released those so he could lower the price of gas. Did anybody see the gas prices go down? And if they did for three days, what if you didn't fill up your tank on those days? Hmm. Meanwhile, food prices have continued to climb since last month. This is up in the last month. Chicken went up 3.4%. Well, 3.4%, you know, if you're going to spend $15 on uh, $15, that means it went up uh, 45 cents. Um, that's no biggie, but that was since last month. Chicken up 3.4%. Eggs up 10.3%. Bacon up 2.5%. Cereal up 2.4%. My question is, what's the percentage for double stuff Oreos? And what about Pop-Tarts? And, uh, and, uh, those fat boy ice cream sandwiches, you know, I don't, uh, I don't do a lot of grocery shopping, but I know those are the important things that we have to have in our, in our kitchen at my house, double stuff, Oreos, cold milk, pop tarts, and fat boy ice cream sandwiches. Oh, milk is up 3.1%. And all those things go together with milk. So the good news, the price of beef has finally started going down this month by less than 1%. But let's point it out because anything, anything that shows signs that there's any kind of uh, uh, goodness happening, we want, we want to throw Biden's way because, you know, we don't have any kind of signs that he has a brain or any signs that he's alive. So what's Joe Biden's defense of the economy this week? What I've been able to do to keep it from getting even worse, and it's bad. This is going to take some time. But in the meantime, it seems to me the best thing I can do in addition to try to get the uh, the. Uh, the, the Middle Eastern countries, including uh, OPEC, to raise the production of oil and move along that route is to see to it that we continue to grow our economy, create jobs. So what he's what he's been able to do is beg other countries that don't. This, are there any countries that produce oil that like us? You know, the Middle Eastern countries, is there any countries over there that like the United States? Israel, but I don't know that Israel drills for oil. Israel is just a little a little speck on the map compared to the other uh, Middle Eastern countries. Well, I'm begging the, the other Middle Eastern countries to increase their oil production. You know what? Why don't we do something that we can control? And that's the United States. Why don't we, why don't we get our oil workers back to work? Work on that pipeline to bring it in from Canada. Canada likes us. Let's uh, get, a, get those drillers going on in, uh, in uh, Alaska and North Dakota and and uh, all over the country, Texas, all the all the places where we have federal lands that have tons of oil under it. Let's get that production going and let's get back to two dollar gas. Oh, the other thing he's done is uh, he's continued to create jobs, which is, you know, what is not which is not a, the job of the of the government. I mean, hey, we're just going to continue to create jobs. So there's jobs available. Yeah, well, didn't they just say two weeks ago there's 11, 11 million jobs that. They can't find uh, people to take them. Well, you know, you guys, you guys paid everybody to stay home for, for two years. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to somebody that I know and I said, you know what the problem is people, people learn, forget how to work. People are going to sit home and collect those, those unemployment checks with the extra $600 a week. And they're going to get used to that and they're going to forget how to work. And, you know, Trump, you say, hey, we have to get our economy turned back on. We got to get this turned back on. We can't keep this thing shut down because people forget how to work. They get out of the habit. And then when it's then when their money turns off, 
they just don't have the, they just don't have it in them. They don't have it in them to, to get up early anymore and get in the car and sit in traffic and go to their jobs and work. And, you know, uh, lots of people are working remote now, which I personally don't like. Uh, my problem with working at home is you never get to go home because you're always working. So, uh, and then of course, you know, my wife comes in that with a, Hey, it's breakfast time. Yeah, I wasn't going to eat breakfast today. Oh, but it's eggs and bacon and homemade hash browns and toast. And it's already made. And I don't want it to go to waste. And then three hours later, Hey, here's a, here's a three quarters of a pound hamburger with cheese dripping off of it. Here's lunchtime. Oh man, that looks good, but I really not hungry, but I don't want it to go to waste. I'll eat it. That's the downfall of, of staying at home. So uh, staying at home to work, but those people, how productive are they? Some people are really good at it, but some people they clock in and they're just not working like they would if they were in an office or on a job site. So anyway, American summer travel plans will be impacted as airlines fares rose 18.6% over the past month, 33% over the past year. Used car prices are up 22% over the past year. New car prices up 13% over the past year. And then there's gas prices. The national average is now $4.60 a gallon for regular, according to uh, AAA. So remember that, you know, just add $1.50 a gallon uh, here in California. And of course, California has the highest rate, uh, highest state average of 6.07. Of course, I use premium in all my cars and that I just paid $6.65.9 per gallon a week ago. Biden's response to that? When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less relying on fossil fuels when this is over. So that's the that's the motive there. So we're just going to go through this and we're going to tough it out and we're going to suffer. And then we'll be more then we'll be less relying on fossil fuels, meaning that we're all going to buy electric cars. We're all going to get rid of our electric water heaters and our or our gas water heaters and put in electric we're all going to get rid of of gas stoves and put in electric and we're all gonna we're all gonna stop flying in planes that use uh uh jet fuel and we're and we're gonna go to electric planes and we're gonna get rid of all that stuff hey that's not realistic that's not realistic that if, that we could transition that so what are we gonna do with our our cars that we bought in the last few years uh, well, those would just go by the wayside. You just park them in your, in your front yard because you need to put your, uh, your new Teslas and your new, uh, electric Hummers and your new electric, this and that. And what happens when you run out of batteries, when you run out of batteries on the side of the road? Oh, then you got to get your, uh, your, your gas generator to go charge up your batteries so you can get to a charging station. Uh, where are they going to get, where are they going to get the gas for that gas generator? I don't know. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's other answers to that. So are we in a recession now? Here's Reagan's economic policy advisor, Art Laffer. Uh, I don't think we are today, but we're very close. We've already had one quarter down. If we get another quarter down, we will definitely be in a recession. It may not happen right away, but sooner or later, this economy is going to sputter out because of the policies of the Biden administration. So like I said, like I said, uh, many times over the last couple of months, the definition of a of a recession is two quarters of negative GDP. We already had one. The second quarter ends the end of next month. 
And I'm sure we're going to have number two and we'll be officially in a in a recession in July. I don't think the government's going to uh, going to um, acknowledge that till sometime a year later. Well, you know, we're not in a recession. You know, you got to look at this. You got to look at that. But let's see. The bond prices are down, meaning the interest rates are up. The GDP is going down. Uh, there's jobs that we can't fill because people are too lazy uh, to go to work. Or maybe uh, they don't want to take the hard work because you can flip burgers for 20 bucks an hour. Well, why would I go for 20, 25 bucks an hour and dig ditches or put in or, uh, you know, lay, you know, uh, frame houses or do any of this stuff when I could just flip hamburgers? And, you know, it's it's hot next to the oven, but it's air conditioned in there. You don't have to get all all sweaty and dirty and have to, you know, get your clothes all dirty. They give you uniforms to work at McDonald's. And, uh, you know, why would I do that? Maybe that's the cause and effect of uh, changing the minimum wage to $15 in California. I don't know, but I mean, even, even in, uh, in the other states, they're paying 20 bucks an hour to work at, at Jack in the Box with a $1,000 signing bonus. They still can't get people. And I, you know, I talk to the people in Idaho when I drive through and I say, you guys still can't hire people for 20 bucks an hour? She goes, we can hire them. We just can't get them to stay. We hire them because they're getting 20 bucks an hour and they're getting a thousand dollar signing bonus. But then after they get their signing bonus, they don't want to keep coming to work because they already got it. Or maybe you have to stay there 90 days before you get it. They stay 90 days. They get their, their, uh, their signing bonus at that time. Anyway, whatever the case may be, people don't want to work. So let's talk about title 42. Now it remains. So, so right after we, so last week we talked about how title 42 was going to expire on Froth Wednesday, Wednesday of this week, and what was going to happen. We talked about the, the borders being open. And remember, uh, uh, Mayorkas said, the Department of Homeland Security said, uh, he said, hey, you know, this doesn't mean the borders open on May 20th, starting on May 23rd. I know because it's already open. But right after we finished recording last week's show, a federal judge intervened to halt the ending of Title 42, the CDC order used to expel 1.8 million migrants since the onset of COVID. So what now? Here's, here's Fox's William Lajeunesse somewhere on the border. There are thousands of illegal migrants in border cities like Tijuana who are confused. They were waiting for this day to come, and now what? They don't know. So we, this morning we went to a soup kitchen, a migrant shelter, as well as a medical clinic. And the two takeaways I have is this. Number one, people don't know what to do, right? Um, they were told things by the smugglers, by the families, by the NGOs, by the news, so they don't know what's going on. And secondly, they need services. They're broke. They've been here for a period of time and they don't know what to do. They got three choices, right? Stay in Mexico, go home, or try to cross the border illegally. Most are not giving up. Stay home or they're here, they're hungry, they're broke. Those are the people that we want to bring in the United States. You know, if you go to uh, Ellis Island in New York, where all those years ago, when people migrated to the United States from Europe or Asia, they came across, well, let's say or Europe, or if they came on the Europe side, they get in a ship, they go across, and they didn't get to come into New York. They stopped at Ellis Island. And when they got off Ellis Island, they'd go through a period of uh, a, a procedure of being checked in and decide if, if you got to stay. And there's a there's a book in one of the cases where people would sign in and say, hey, my name is uh, is Joe Smith and I'm coming from uh, from France. And my uh, my occupation is I'm a shoemaker and I'm headed for Chicago. 
And this is, and this is what I'm bringing in. This is what I'm bringing in. Here's the skills I bring in. Here's, here's what I have to offer the United States. And they checked them out health wise. And, you know, if you see there's, there's dormitories there where, cause all the people would come in the first of the month and they couldn't process them all because, Hey, there's a, a quote of how many people could come in. So on the first of each month, there's ships and ships, they couldn't process them that fast. So they created these, uh, these dormitories where people would stay while they're, while they're being processed. So in the meanwhile, they would check and make sure who you are, what you have to offer. Are you allowed to come into the United States? That's not the case anymore. Now you're just hungry and uh, somebody tells you you can get in the United States and you go. And now we're supposed to feel sorry for them because they don't know what to do. Well, you should have stayed at home and worked your job and did whatever you could. Maybe you should have applied to come in. You don't have to worry about Title 42. Anyway, that's 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 my uh, that's my take on this whole thing. And don't forget that not everyone coming over is from Central America and Mexico. Remember how conservatives were laughed at for saying ISIS was using migrant crisis to get in here from the southern border. This week, the FBI foiled an assassination plot against former George, former President George W. Bush by an ISIS sympathizer living in Ohio. Shihab Ahmed Shihab, 52, an Iraqi national who's been in the United States since September of 2020. He had a pending asylum application. And which uh, apparently he put in in March of 2021. So he came across Biden's uh, Biden's uh, uh, people let him in. They didn't check his background, didn't check his background. And then he put an asylum application in six months later in March of 2021. Reportedly, Shihab told an FBI informant that he wished to murder the former president for killing many Iraqis and breaking apart Iraq. So this started started in April of 2021. So a month after he put in this asylum uh, application, the FBI is is watching him, and they're and they're and they're uh, and he's telling some FBI informants that are undercover that he wants to kill President Bush. Uh, he and the he and the informant drove to Dallas to take a video of the Bush's residence and George W. Bush Institute. How does this relate to the border? Shihab told the FBI informant who was posing as a human smuggler that he needed help getting Iraqi operatives smuggled into in from Mexico for their operation and then smuggled back out to escape. So he did that before he came in in 2020 and he's still here. I don't know. Here's John Katko, ranking Republican on the House Homeland Security Committee. This is precisely the concern we had with the open border policies of the Biden administration. We were fighting with them tooth and nail to try and get information about the number of terrorists that were coming across the border on the terror watch list that had been seized. And for, for months and months and months, the administration trying to tell us that it was only uh, Mexicans and people from the Northern Triangle coming across. It's just not true. They're coming across from over 160 countries. 24 people have been seized from the terror watch list. And now we have this. Now, sugar to thank what's gotten through and what we don't know. You've got a real recipe for disaster that was narrowly averted here, but it doesn't bode well for the future of this country unless they secure this border. Absolutely right. And here, here I'll end with this. On Tuesday, Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa announced she is sponsoring a bill that would turn over the unused materials purchased to construct the border wall to the states where, they, where, the, where the materials are, are laying. She called it the Build It Act. The legislation would direct federal government to transfer any part of its stockpile of wall materials to any border state that requested it free of charge. In other words, all the money we spent on the border wall for uh, during Trump 
could finally be used to complete portions of it as opposed to going to waste, which is what's been happening for the past two years. And don't stop there. It's estimated that roughly a quarter of a billion dollars in taxpayer-funded materials are sitting on our southern border. And that's from the website of Senator Chuck Grassley, who is co-sponsoring the bill. When Biden stopped the wall construction, the federal government started paying contractors to look over the unused materials. Here's Joni Ernst on the Faulkner Focus. President Biden had called this a waste of money when he was talking about the border wall. But what he has done is a true waste of money. What he has done is secure these contractors to watch over these unused supplies that are lying in the desert at a cost of upwards of $3 million a day. Senator, let me cut in. We're paying people to babysit the stuff that's just sitting that should be part of a wall? Harris, I, exactly $3 million per day. So $3 million per day is $1.1 billion per year to watch over a quarter of that in wall materials. Reminds me of one of my clients in 2006 that told me, Shay, I just bought a three-story house and a ranch in Paris. And I go, why are you buying two new houses? She goes, well, I need the ranch because I bought these two horses and I need to, and instead of paying to have them put somewhere, I need to have a place for them. And I said, how much did you pay for the horses? $125 each. So you spent $600,000 for a ranch to keep $250 worth of horses in. Hmm. I say, hey, you know what? This doesn't make sense. I'm selling my houses. I'm selling my houses now. You should consider that. And of course, uh, she didn't. And she didn't. And she ended up losing them all. And uh, it's a sad story. It's just a sad story. But you know what? Uh, let's spend $3 million a day so we don't put up this wall. The wall's already paid for. We're paying contractors who have contracts uh, to put it up uh, because we can't get out of the contracts. The government's still paying for it. And we're letting people over and we're not putting up the wall. I think maybe the country should start taking care of business and stop looking at this so politically. Hey, anyway, I'm a lot of time for this episode of the main event. So uh, my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again with you next week.